Hi there. You're listening to the Paralegals on Fire podcast show, where you'll be getting tips and actionable strategies that you can use right now to fast track your paralegal career. I'm your host, Ann Pearson, former paralegal and paralegal manager who left big law in the concrete jungle to start my own company, the Paralegal Bootcamp, where we give online courses that help paralegals make more money, increase their job security, and cut out the learning curve. All right, let's jump right into today's episode. I'm so excited to have a special guest today who I believe is going to be a catalyst to change how law firms look at hiring and retaining their top talent. Molly McGrath is the owner of Hiring and Empowering Solutions, where she helps law firms improve their leadership skills, their talent acquisition, and build better teams, happier teams. She's the author of several best-selling books, including The 66-Day Law Firm Turnaround, Entrepreneurs in an Entrepreneur's World, and my favorite, Don't Be a Yes Chick. What's great is that Molly has perspectives from both sides. She's worked in a law firm, she's helped manage law firms, and she consults with law firm leaders. She's here to give us some candid advice on today's job market for paralegals. Molly, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, Anne, thank you for having me. I've been so excited about today's episode. Me too. So can you tell me a little about hiring and empowering solutions and how it's different from others in the talent acquisition space? Sure. So um, we founded Hiring and Empowering Solutions back in 2008. And if anyone remembers 2008, and that was a very Mm -hmm. uh, challenging time in the world and the economy in businesses and um, really the passion and the the launch pad for that business was um, my partner at that time, uh, Lainey Lyons and I uh, were very, very heavily involved in many national organizations for attorneys by and large estate planning and elder law. We go to all these conferences and speak and um, the common theme we are hearing over and over and over again at the breakfast table, dinner tables, uh, breakout sessions, what have you, is business would be great, but for my team, it's hard to find good people. It's hard to keep people. How do I get employees that care as much as I do about the business, about the clients, about the file, what have you? And through that process of really listening, we developed a program called the Team Empowerment Academy where we would train employees how to become what we call entrepreneurs in the entrepreneur's world. You do you cannot own a law firm if you're a non-attorney in this day and age. Some states are have already broken through that. Um, and your name's not on the door, but you're not coming and showing up with the capital. So you don't own the business, but you absolutely have the heart and soul and it's in your bones. And so we took that very, very seriously to train employees to become what we've coined entrepreneurs in entrepreneurs world. And what makes our hiring process so very unique than most recruiters is first and foremost, um, we do flat fee retained search. So we do not charge you a commission based on annual salary. And in this day and age with the unemployment rate under 1% across the country, Um, You can imagine how many recruiters are discapitalizing on that in regards to the hiring process. I do that 
So the attorney knows that I first and foremost, my goal is to work for them and to find the best person for the least amount of money for um, that. And also that has a mind skill, mindset, the skill set, knowledge, and emotional intelligence. And what also makes this very different is we do a 90 on 90 day onboarding process where we support the attorney and work side by side with the attorney, managers, CEOs, whoever's responsible for training and onboarding the new employees and lock arms and work side by side to help support and onboard your new employee, regardless of role from receptionist to associate attorney to create that entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial um, integration and spirit. Wow. I I didn't realize that you had a flat fee. I, I looked at your website and stuff, and I love your website, but that flat fee really caught my attention um, in the 90-day thing because, you know, I teach a course at Emory University for their paralegal job search and career development skills. And I tell them in the course that they can't really rely on a recruiter finding them a job because most recruiters um, are working on a percentage of their first year salary. And of course, a recruiter is going to work harder to find an $80,000 or $90,000 a year paralegal than a $50,000 a year paralegal. I love that idea, that approach. It, it, it really is true. I am very, very passionate about a few things. Number one, um, finding law firms, to, taking them from where they are to where they want to be. So some people only have the budget for a $45,000 paralegal, to use your $80,000 example. And the paralegal has what it takes to become a rock star or a superstar but maybe they need that coaching and guidance. And that's what I'm very, very passionate about of giving everybody the opportunity, whether it be the entrepreneur, the attorney that doesn't have the budget for the $90,000 paralegal or the $40,000 paralegal that cannot get into a law firm because they can't cut through the noise because a resume doesn't have the experience. So on our ads, we never put salary we want to talk to everyone and anyone because at the end of the day, I always remind my clients, you are hiring human beings versus human doings first and foremost. So you can't get seduced by the resume that they have two, three, 20 years of experience, what have you, because sometimes they might not have the right mindset or attitude and or they have really um, very uh, steadfast habits that they're are unwavering and they're not, they don't have the flexibility that your firm needs. That's nice. I like that. It's refreshing. In that 90 day period, I'll bet you probably have a lot less turnover knowing that they're supported throughout that time period. The 90 days is a make or break. When we started out our business, we would, um, we did not have the 90 days implemented in our process and we would inevitably get the phone calls that so-and-so wasn't working out. They quit. We had to fire them. They're just not reaching all their goals, what have you. And we really took a deep dive look at this and um, started analyzing and interviewing our attorneys and or the candidate to figure out what was occurring. And it was a common theme that we were seeing is that People were hired, and then you probably know this, and you hear this all the time. I don't have time to train people. I'm so busy as the attorney 
And I don't, I need people that come with what we hear batteries included. But even if somebody has all the knowledge, skill set, the years of experience, what have you, they're still human beings. They still need to understand your personality, your personal preference. And what we're finding is two things. One is that people were not speaking the same language. They weren't very clear on what their key performance indicators were for week one, week two, week three, week four, and chunking that out. So often attorneys were so excited to hire someone they would just dump the entire junk drawer on their desk, which could be a year's worth of goals. So without that clear, concise, well-communicated, trackable, measurable goals and taking them into bite-sized pieces one week at a time, one month at a time, and no more than that, and coming back together and analyzing that and really looking at what's working, what's not working and making certain that we're all saying the same language and we have the same goals is really the difference maker in that onboarding process. And to your point, keeping and retaining your employees, the people that go through our 90-day process, they don't have the turnaround. They don't have the turnover. However, I do push the entrepreneur and the attorney to let go of, of somebody quicker. And the saying of, slow to hire and fast to fire is very, very true because a lot of times there are indicators in that first week and we tend to bury our head in the sand because we don't want to go back through the process again. So I I love that 90-day approach because it's not just on the other side for paralegals, it's not just for the entrepreneur or for the attorney. It would be such a benefit. I hear day and day again, um, from paralegals who started their job, they don't have any training, and they either quit or they're fired because they think they just aren't cut out to be a paralegal. And it's for lack of training, right? And they literally go into other careers. They've spent all that money to get their paralegal certificate. They quit and go back to doing what they were doing because they think they're not cut out for it. That would be such a benefit to paralegals that I know to have that 90-day like onboarding. That would just be a game changer for most. You know, it, and that, it, that's a great perspective that you just brought because I think they, they know and believe that they're cut out for it when they go through their training. They're excited about it. They're excited about the work. They're excited about what they get to do depending on what industry and area of law they go into. But what kind of defeats them and deflates them, in my experience, is the communication with the attorney or the law firm when they get in there. So the the paralegals properly train. They've done, you know what it takes to get, become a paralegal. It's no small feat at all. And then you get into a law firm and if there's chaos and there's a breakdown in communication and lack of direction and lack of coaching and leadership and consistent communication, then what happens is attorneys and law firms will hire these paralegals, throw them in the back room, dump the banker's boxes of files on their desk with very little direction. And then when things go south, they get, you know, they get blasted with, my the words that I hear from paralegals are basically you're incompetent, which could not be further from the truth in my experience. It's just like a 
an attorney going through law school. That is no small feat to be able to get that certificate, becoming a paralegal. In my experience, they do get disheartened. They get beaten up unnecessarily because everybody's too busy to really stop, drop, and roll and give that proper time, attention, feedback, reviewing their work, um, giving them that coaching and that leadership. We and, and then that's where they get to a place where they just believe that they're not cut out for the area of law because of the energy and the intensity and the chaos that occurs and unnecessarily in law firms. I, I agree. And, you know, not to put it all on attorneys here, because the other thing that I see, I saw it when I was a manager, I saw it when I was a paralegal first starting out is the other senior paralegals in the firm aren't always willing to, either they don't have the time to help train the new paralegal, or they're not willing to share the knowledge on what it takes to be a great paralegal because they don't want to be outshined. And they also have their own billable hour requirements that they have to hit on a daily and weekly and monthly basis as well. So, and, and let's be honest, paralegals are phenomenal technicians. And they are wonderful at their crap. And just like attorneys, and I love that you said not to put it all on attorneys, because my goal here is not to beat up attorneys. But we're not trained as entrepreneurs and attorneys and paralegals to be amazing trainers or to be amazing managers and, and coaches and what have you. And so a lot of times they're you know, passing the buck, so to speak, or we we don't really take stock of who has the skills that and the desire and the excitement to onboard new employees. Right. Well, and not to beat up on attorneys, but I do have to tell I do have to tell you that, you know, when I first um found you, it was I can't even remember what I Googled, but I came across a podcast episode of yours that really brought me in. It was titled, Why Employees Don't Want Your Lousy Law Firm Job. And then I binge listened to like half a dozen other episodes in one weekend. And I just love how you cut to the chase and say some things that need to be said, especially in an industry that for for us in the legal industry, people are pretty reserved on what they say. You know, they don't want to offend people or whatever. So first, I'd like to thank you for being that much needed voice. But why did you think or feel like attorneys and managers needed to hear that message? I Thank you, first of all, for listening to my podcast and appreciating my, um, you know, I had one attorney who said it this way, and I really liked it, that I have blunt compassion. And I really love that because my goal is never to beat up on the law firms. In fact, I'm trying to cut to the chase and giving them the message in a very clear, concise, quick manner. And sometimes it does come off a bit harsh or what have you. And the reason being is because I have sat in so many law firms. I have sat in so many legal organizations and conferences and attended different, spoke at different summits where employees were just, they felt like they were expressing themselves. They felt like they were giving the truth to the um, attorneys, to the employers, but they weren't because they're very hesitant to speak their truth in an honest, well-respectful manner and say, here's what's really going on. Here's really where the blind spots are. 
here's where the problems were. So they were saying it in a very, very gentle, very conservative, very calculated way. And the attorneys weren't hearing it. I would say, can you repeat back to me what you just heard from the employee? Or when they would come back to me, I would have these conversations. My phone ring up the hook from the paralegals, from the employee saying, you know, I can't work here anymore. Here's what's going on. And I would say, I guarantee your attorney does not know that. I guarantee that they're completely in the dark. They're in back-to-back-to-back conference calls and meetings and in courtrooms and, and working with the clients. They don't understand it, and they're not seeing it from that perspective. Go in and tell them point blank. Here's what's occurring, and here's why I'm going to leave it. This doesn't change. Or here's why we're not getting hired. Or here's why we have so many troubles with the file. And give them the information. They depend on you to be their eyes and ears when they are jams packed in client meetings. And time and time and time again, the employee would would just cave. And their courage would go out the window. And they, they would say it in a way that was not landing very direct. And the attorney wasn't hearing it at all. Then I'd get the phone call from the attorney. And they would have some very, very sugar-coated version of what the real problem was. And then they're stressed out because they're not reaching their financial goals. The files are moving quick and not what have you. But nobody in the office is willing to tell them the truth. Wow. that's I've seen that so many times. I, I talk about it a little bit in our communication skills course about how you have to have the confidence to speak up when things are going wrong, things are headed south because ultimately you could take the blame for it. So what do you, what would you recommend to a paralegal who is experiencing that? And um, maybe you've coached them or talked to them about how to make it more apparent. Is there anything else that they can do to make sure that those things are heard? Yeah, I would say first and foremost, make certain that you are having consistent time on the calendar every single week with your attorney. In an ideal world, in a group setting with everybody and treating it like a weekly stakeholders meeting. And I use that term because everybody should have the mindset and the intentionality that they are a stakeholder in this firm, even though your name might not be on the building or the door, but you are invested in there. You're spending most of your waking hours there at work, whether virtual or in-house, doesn't matter. And you're, you have something at stake between your job, your bonuses, uh, opportunities for growth, et cetera. So when you have dedicated time each week and you are anchoring to data, because the attorneys love data in regards to state of the union and what's going on with the file or what's going on where we're jammed up and what have you. And you can anchor to reporting that really helps de-energize it a lot. And then when you have to have the crucial conversation, and I, I don't even love that word. I've been shifting it to more of a courageous conversation versus crucial. Crucial takes the sting and the brutality out of it. But you can be you can pay attention to your tonality and your deliverability. So if your intentions are well and whatever the truth of the matter that you have to give in regards to whether you're dealing with a difficult associate or you're dealing with a difficult counterpart within um, a, a senior paralegal, or it really might be that the attorney's ditching meetings or missing deadlines, 
these are the common themes that I hear of really having that conversation about facts versus emotions and starting from there and anchoring to the data. So the reason that we're missing the deadline is that, you know, we keep, and as much as you can possibly use the words we, and then once they'll throw you a bone in regards to really dissecting, and when you have the reporting, you'll see where the bottlenecks are within the process. Maybe you're having a difficult conversation or difficult time with a senior paralegal. I always say, go to the person that can do something about it first and foremost. So go and sit down and have that conversation with your counterpart, with your coworker, or what have you. And again, it's all in your deliverability. If you can just make sure certain that you pay attention to your language and not saying you did this to me, but just saying, I I'm, I'm just want to sit down with you and I want to find a way for us to have a breakthrough. Here's what I'm experiencing right now. And keep making it about what you're experiencing versus what they are doing to you, which will really help to, you know, have everyone put away their weapons and start there with that person and just really trying to have that courageous conversation in the name of having a breakthrough and in the name of accomplishing goals and having to work together every day. I really like that idea. And I think it kind of is a good segue into the next question that I had, which is um, from a podcast episode, or maybe it was a blog post of yours, I can't remember, but um, because I agreed with so many of the things all over your website. But it was that you suggested that law firms and other employers that they need to start thinking beyond just years of experience on the resume and look for those more critical skills, which it would be needed for these conversations, right? These courageous conversations, the skills like integrity, drive, willingness to learn. How does those are so hard to prove on a resume, right? If you don't make it into the interview process, but Let's assume that they make it to the interview process. How can a paralegal convey that they have those attributes to a potential employer? Mm. Or can they even? Absolutely. They can convey that. I quite simply go back to the basics and the old school that works and include a cover letter. So when you, I can't tell you how many people in this day and age, especially because there's a lot of one-click apply on a lot of these talent acquisition platforms, what have you. But when I see somebody who has a cover letter, I stop in my tracks and actually read it. So I would say the easiest way that you can do that is number one, go ahead and include a cover letter that communicates what makes you a team player. And then include a paragraph that talks about your communication style and your leadership style and how and how you can um, how you use that and and again it has to be authentic. Um, you don't just make it up if that's not truly who you are. But cover letter is number one, and then number two, when it comes time for your resume and you start doing the bullet points of, I can't tell you how many people have these very generic terms. Pay attention to the very first word you put next to each bullet point and how it communicates. Speak into the employer's listening in a way that makes a difference for them and gets them to stop in their track and pay attention to you. So when you look at that first word that you're putting in a bullet point, 
have them very much about experiential in addition to action-oriented. So led, think of the words that you're using, motivated, you know, took charge of um, where you did things to lessen the load for the attorney, where percentages, what percentage of cases were you, people pay attention to numbers, they pay attention to percentages, they pay attention to dollars. That's what stands out on each one of those bullet points include uh, exceeding billable hours, if that's the model that you're in, how many um, matters and how many cases that you're handling at any given time, how many people that you were managing or leading, how you took something within your career, within your positions from ashes to victory, and really think outside the box. And I love Some of the resumes that I get, I can almost envision the person's day-to-day world. So almost like map out and walk through your day-to-day world, what you do on a daily basis and communicate that and your bullet points and how you lessen the load for the attorney and how you came to them with consistent solutions versus constant problems. Yes. Yes. I love that. It's actually, that's actually one of my seven habits in my Mm. indispensable program is be the problem solver, not the problem reporter. Oh, I love that. Yeah. So because of this, you know, we can't not talk about the great resignation um, and you wrote a great article about that, but because of that and the hiring problems that a lot of firms are having and the low unemployment rate, do you see a trend for firms being more willing to hire less experienced people? I wouldn't say it's a trend right now. I see people being very steadfast and rigid in their old school beliefs where they're not willing to flex and hire people that maybe don't have the years of experience, especially if it's specific. You know, for example, right now, family law it is a graveyard out there finding associates and paralegals when the pandemic hit. So many associates and paralegals left family law. Um, but I, I don't see a trend yet, but I really would like to invite your listeners to consider it. Uh, there are so many skill sets that do transcend from one area of law to another. There are so many skill sets that new paralegals have because they invest in training such as yours. They are with this digital world right now. There are so many online classes that they can go to hone their craft in the area of law that you are practicing. And, and it's the human stuff that, that causes breakdowns in employees of either leaving and or being terminated. And I, I just cannot say enough about that of if you can shift your mindset from only being seduced and or rigid in the years of experience, a specific area of law that they have to have experience in and really go and think about what you need in your firm because you're busy, you're stressed out. So what you need is somebody who knows how to take leadership. They know how to ask the powerful questions They know how to come with solution-oriented. They're very resourceful in regards to how to understand and how to find what they need, especially in this day and age with the online world. There's no shortage of resources out there. So 
I try not to. I never put salary on any of my ads. And because the market is so tight, we try to talk, we do talk to every single paralegal in the area that they're looking for. And I'm consistently blown away by people. I can't, I've written blogs about this. I've done a podcast about this and I've written about this in my books about when attorneys will say to me, why in the world are you sending me this resume? This person is not qualified. And I say, you ha- I actually put this in my uh, contracts and agreements. You have to agree to meet with every single person that I send you a resume for because you have to, that's what you're hiring me for. We are the experts. And lo and behold, when they get on that Zoom interview, I'm like, I'm going to protect your time. I only need 15 minutes. I promise you this person will wow you in minute four of this interview. And every time they will say, I don't know how you do it. I don't know what you did, but there's, I would never have interviewed this person. And it's a person they end up not only hiring, but it's so exciting for me when I get phone calls or emails from attorneys saying to me, okay, we're ready to hire our next one and actually find me exactly someone like Susie. And I have to giggle because I'm like, Susie's the one that you wouldn't even want to look at her recipe or interview. And here she is five years later. And now you want to clone her. Oh my gosh. I love it. I would love to hear more stories. Like I'm sure a lot of other paralegals would love to hear it too. So what do you think? You said family law. Besides family law, are there any what you would consider top specialties now that paralegals should be looking at? Oh, yes, yes, yes. Be, oh my goodness. Estate planning, elder law, probate and trust administration. This area of law, which has been my bread and butter and my passion for 28 years now. Um, finally, since the pandemic, uh, estate planning and elder law, meaning Medicaid planning and nursing home planning, and then probate and trust administration after death planning has exploded. And finally, the world has awareness around this, and it's no longer considered just for the wealthy. And because we've had the online, and so many of our attorneys have done an amazing job of doing online webinars and education, and people experience this with their families during the pandemic, there is a massive shortage and experienced estate planning, Medicaid planning, and probate and trust administration paralegal. So for any paralegal that is listening, this is the most amazing area of law to practice in. Your attorneys are not back-to-back jammed in court constantly. You don't have opposing counsel to deal with. It is not a stressed out area of law. And what I love about it is what estate planning attorneys always say is that our clients and our clients' families bring us hugs and cookies. They actually call it hug planning. And it is so rewarding. It's such an impact and difference-making area of law. And it's wonderful because the attorney and the team are in full control of their calendar. So it's an area of law that I would highly recommend any paralegal or attorney for that matter to seriously investigate and consider because if you have anyone that is experienced in this area of law, please send them to me. I can find them a job yesterday. Wow. So I can hear all of the litigation paralegals listening to this podcast episode right now saying, how do I get in there? Because to actually have a work-life balance and have control and enjoy what you're doing and not be bound by the court system, 
Like, so would a, let's say it's a litigation paralegal or maybe even commercial real estate paralegal who's working on these big M&A closings or corporate work, how, I mean, would their skills be able to transfer over to that area or would there be like a training period? There would be a training period. And I have been on the hunt for finding a training academy that trains specifically in this area of law. Um, but I've yet to find it. So I'm going to have to find a way to create it to send people that are paralegals that are interested. Would their skills transcend to that? Absolutely. You know, it's document driven, it's contract driven, um, it's people driven, and it's relationship driven. So the specifics that need to occur in regards to how to qualify for Medicaid or how to draft an estate planning um, document, what have you, or probate and trust admin, you are dealing with the courts. It is very form driven. It is very state specific and federal driven. So I think the resourcefulness and the research side of things would absolutely um, be there for somebody who's in a high pressure law firm with litigation and stress and um, looming deadlines and things of that nature. The question I would ask them is, you know, based on their DNA and their personality type, what have you, can they make this shift from high stress to kind of peace and fun? And some people say, no, they like the high stress of that. So there's, there are deadlines that do occur in estate planning and elder law and probate and trust admin, of course, but um, most of them are, abs- all of them are absolutely within your control and planned out um, through your CRM, et cetera. So it's not a high voltage, high octane. And I do hear that from people that have done litigation in the past. They're like, oh no, I need, I need the, I need the chaos consistently. So with a paralegal who maybe, I mean, we're talking about the great resignation during part of this podcast, right? And I wonder, as you were saying that, I was thinking, I wonder if law firms could have kept more of their paralegals. They wouldn't have left because of stress and all that kind of stuff if they would have just switched practice areas. Maybe they're in the wrong practice area versus an entirely wrong career. Possibly. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, you know, I always start with uh, when I'm interviewing candidates, tell me about your why and why you're doing what you're doing, especially when people are making a shift. So tell me why you want to leave family law and go to estate planning, for example. And it has to be not a running from, but a running to. So my favorite people that are making that transition Uh, they had the opportunity to have the power of the pause. And they started taking stock of what's important to them, looking at work-life. You know, there's really no such thing as work-life balance, but work-life integration, because wherever you go, there you are. And when you do what you love, it's not work. So the people that are um, leaving are, um, you know, again, what's your why? What is your why? And finding out what your why is. There, there are some people that are moving from uh, other area laws into family law because they've been through a divorce or they're a child of, of domestic violence or what have you. And those are exciting too when I interview people of why they're, why or immigration of where they're coming from. I 
yesterday, I did three interviews for an immigration firm and to hear these attorneys and paralegals why of what they're doing, because they have a personal story that is highly connected to immigration. And one of them worked in family law for a long time. And they realized, you know, I really want to be in immigration. I got very clear. The pandemic gave everybody the power of the pause. And for those that took the invitation very seriously and sat on their couch and took stock of what's important to them and what they're passionate about and what their vision is and what their why is are the ones that I think make an amazing asset to any firm, regardless of the area of law. I agree. I like that, the why. That's definitely going to be in the show notes for people. So um, I know we're, we're running over a little bit. I just have one final question for you. So Let's say they figure out their why and they want, they decide, you know, I want to move into another area. I might be open to at least exploring other options. And, you know, they're, I hear it from paralegals who are taking my courses all over the country. They're telling me that they get um, messaged on LinkedIn or through their email, if not daily, at least weekly from a recruiter trying to recruit them away. And they tell them that it's this great six figure position and they go through the interview process and it turns out to be 70,000 or just a whole bunch less than what they were told. And it's for a firm with a reputation for high turnover. Essentially, they feel tricked by the recruiter. Do you have any advice for a paralegal who might be considering at least exploring opportunities, how to know whether or not to work with a particular recruiter, like red flags that they should look out for? Oh, that's so fantastic. I highly recommend that you start the first conversation with them in regards to tell me what this position's offering. And if they say it's negotiable, I would pin them down to a number. So my replacing somebody in there, how much money were they making? And make certain you get really, really clear of base salary and then what is bonus. Um, because sometimes people will say six figure and you're like, oh, by the way, it's 50,000 base and the rest of it, you have to make up in bonuses that are, you know, nobody in the firm has ever accomplished. So be really clear on that. My first question before I waste anyone's time is I'll hop on a phone call with them and say, tell me what you're looking to make, to make a move, to not hurt your family and to put food on your table and gas in your tank. Tell me what you're looking to make in order to make a move where you're leveraging up and optimizing and, you know, obviously making a career advancement. And I'll be very clear with them. If the recruiter is not flat out honest with you, then I would, I would be very cautious of that and get something in writing from them and or figuring out if there is high turnover, ask the questions, make sure you say, okay, how many people are in the firm? What's the longest standing employee there? Is this a newly created position or am I replacing someone? If you're replacing someone, why are they leaving? How long were they there? And how long was the person before them there? And you have full permission because you're interviewing them just as much as they're interviewing you, especially in the legal space. Trust me, they are need you more than you need them. So you're in the driver's seat and and this is a great opportunity for you really to exercise those courageous conversations, practice it with a recruiter 
And then again, when you get into the interview, whether it's on a Zoom or in office with the law firm, I would go in there from a place of, even if you are in a position where you need a job, really ask those powerful questions. Because a lot of times the interviewers, whether it be recruiter or the law firm, they are really testing you on how, what type of powerful questions you bring to the table. So they don't see it as negative. They don't see it as combative. They actually, it communicates your clarity and confidence based on the power of the questions that you're asking and how clear and upfront they are. Because if you're asking clear, upfront, unapologetic questions in the interview, then they can depend that you're going to do that in the day-to-day world of the law firm when when they are desperate, everybody's desperate for clarity. That is that is some great advice. I never would have thought of, you know, those questions that we ask during the interview, they can be asking the recruiter so that nobody's time's being wasted, right? Ask them the same questions that you would ask, how long have they been there? What were they making? All the, All that type of thing. Yeah. And if the recruiter doesn't know the answers to that, then that's uh, a red flag for them where they say, let me get back to you. And they don't have the answers to that. And wait and see how the recruiter follows up. If the recruiter doesn't follow up in a very timely fashion, then it's very telling that there's a lot of ghosts in the proverbial closet. (laughs) All right. Well, gosh, thank you for staying a little extra with me today. And um, so I'm going to be linking to a bunch of resources in the show notes, the podcast episodes that that I talked about, um, some of Molly's blogs, and um, where you can get a copy of the books that we mentioned. And so, Molly, where can people find you? Where can our listeners find you if they want to be able to connect with you? Absolutely. And again, thank you so much for um, sharing our message with your listeners. I can't wait to, I'm happy to help anyone in, if you're in a position or looking for a position, you can stay connected with us at um, hiringandempowering.com and you can subscribe to our blog um, and, or our podcast, and then you'll get our weekly updates that are just a always value packed to really bridge that gap between the employer and the paralegal. They are. I tell you, I literally binged listened to so many of your episodes in one weekend. So thank you so much for taking the time today to talk with me and to share all of your knowledge and insight and great advice. Thank you for having me. All right. Bye for now. Bye for now. All right, that's it for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed today's show, hit the subscribe button in whatever platform you're listening. And please take a quick minute and leave a review of the podcast and share this episode with just one colleague or friend who you think would benefit from what we discussed today. Share the knowledge and the entire paralegal profession elevates. See you next week. Bye for now.